Okay. Uh, today, uh, we have uh, an annual tradition, and that is we invite the confirmation class, the, the sixth graders, uh, to come in and, uh, and ask me questions uh, about, uh, well, whatever it is they want to ask. And so, um, Sarah Siebels, uh, one of our youth ministers, is going to uh, MC this. But uh, before we go any further, uh, I really need to pray. This is uh, the most dreadful class of the year. Let's pray. <laughs> uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we pray that uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit that your truth would shine uh, in this place. And Lord, uh, even when it's hard uh, for us to believe, Lord, that we would cling to it. And Lord, that we would know uh, of your loving kindness towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Okay. Is it on? Yes. There we go. Okay. Um, just to get it out of the out of the way, I'm gonna go with these are all real questions. You can see their handwriting from um, our sixth grade confirmation students. They submitted last week, and um, one of my favorites. We're just gonna go ahead with first. Okay. Um, did America really go to the moon in 1969? Yeah. <laughs> um, believe it or not, um, I have a family member who really who's. Uh, holds graduate degrees who, and is an engineer uh, who, uh, who really still questions whether or not we went to the moon in 1969. Uh, but it's not genetic. Uh, so uh, yes, we really did go to the moon in 1969, but we don't have the ability to go to the moon right now. So that's, that's America for you. Okay. Um, okay, then we had a lot of questions about you personally, um, how you became a... <laughs> we, we had an astounding number of questions about what you eat for breakfast, but, um, but we, do, we first want to know a little bit about um, you know, it, how you became a Christian when you were confirmed, things like that. Yeah, um, I became a Christian uh, when I was uh, younger. I was one of those guys that I, I never felt... There was never really a moment in my life where I thought I wasn't a Christian, but uh, I think a lot of that I took for granted. And so when I was probably about 13, um, I, for the first time, really realized that, that my faith in Jesus was personal for me. It was my own before it was assumed. And I kind of lived, lived it through my family members. I just thought, oh, I was Christian. But then I, for the first time, I really started to ask, well, what does that mean to be a Christian? How do I relate to God? How does he relate to me? And so when I was about 13, uh, I became a Christian, and um, uh, actually our, our church confirmed later, so I was about 14 or 15 before I was confirmed, and then um, I've been a Christian ever since. Do you have a favorite Bible verse? Uh, I, yes, uh, I do. Um, I, I, well, I've got a couple of them. One of them, uh, 1 John uh, 3.20, which I preached on this morning. Uh, whenever your heart condemns you, know that God is bigger than your heart. Uh, and then, of course, um, uh, Romans 8.1, uh, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Depends uh, on what mood I'm in. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, there are certain times where just like, this isn't doing it. And then there are other times when you, when you read a Bible verse, which you've seen a thousand times, and, but for some reason in that moment... It, it speaks to you. It becomes very real. And, and you think, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense for me right now. What's your favorite thing about God and Jesus? Oh, gosh. Um, 
You know, it, it always it, it used to bother me um, in um, in Acts where um, there's a sermon being preached and there's this line that um, God commands all to repentance. And I never like that because it makes it sound like God isn't really giving us much of a choice. That he, what, does he, what do you mean he commands us to repent? He commands us to be in relationship uh, with him. Uh, but uh, where I am right now uh, in my walk with the Lord, realizing just how great and how powerful and how omnipotent God is. And if he's the king of the universe, then he has every right to command. So even to this day in England, if you get invited to uh, some royal function, uh, the invitation reads, Her uh, Britannic Majesty uh, commands your presence. Now, I mean, she's not going to, you know, Elizabeth II is not going to chop off anybody's head if you don't go. Uh, but, it, but because she's the Queen of England, she's commanding your presence. And you better have a really good reason for not being there. And you see that in, uh, of course, the parable of the wedding banquet where, um, where the guests were invited uh, and, and were not uh, for a royal wedding and were not, did not come with the royal summons. So I think that the two things that I feel like I get more in touch with as I get older are, one, I realize um, my own limitations, my own struggles. I think I get to know myself a little bit more each day. But in the midst of that, I get to know a lot more about who God is. And as it seems like I'm getting worse, the great thing about it is I'm realizing how much greater God is. Um, that just when I feel like, who could possibly love me? I know that's hard for y'all to believe. But, uh, but I mean, there are moments when you think, I, you know, it, it just, you feel very unloved. You even might even feel unlovable. And yet this reminder that... <coughs> God loves you, and that's not just a throwaway line that God loves you. It's, uh, it's all that matters. <laughs> uh, it's, it's all that makes the difference. And so your whole world around you can be falling apart, uh, and yet knowing that God loves you and you're in his hands makes all the difference in the world. Makes all the difference in the world. Great. Um, we'll come back. Good, to, I'm glad. So we're going uh, okay sorry. so far. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll come back to what you like for breakfast. But um, we had a, a lot of students ask about this question. They said, um, "If the Garden of Eden was perfect, how did the serpent get in?" I think there's a picture of mimosas uh, somewhere. No. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, the characters involved in the story. Of course, there's God, and He's in fellowship with Adam and Eve. Uh, who are two created uh, beings in his image. And then we have uh, the serpent. Now, the serpent is not the devil. It's or in the sense that he, he is being motivated uh, by the devil, but the serpent, too, is a created being. And the way that this serpent looks in the Garden of Eden doesn't look like serpents now because we know that um, we know that uh, that as a result of the fall, uh, God said, "You will crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust." Right. So the serpent actually changes the way that it looks. I mean, one of the hard things too uh, about that passage is uh, they're talking to snakes, right? Um, and and how is that possible? Uh, but that's actually happened elsewhere in the Bible. The prophet Balaam uh, has a donkey. 
and uh, and uh, the donkey finally, uh, in one instance, looks back and is like, asks, "Why are you hitting me?" Uh, and so, if that ever happens to like your dog or you, uh, know that it actually is kind of biblical. Uh, but know that it's when animals talk, it's never a good thing. Um, uh, so, so be warned about that. So, but what we see in the Bible, especially in a book like the book of Job, is that God does allow Satan's presence in certain areas. So even in the book of Job, Satan the accuser comes before God because God allows it and says, consider my servant Job. Now, the hard thing about that then is, are we to say, okay, well, if God allowed a satanic presence in the Garden of Eden, does that mean that he's responsible for the fall? Does, is, is, it, is it his fault that we are separated uh, uh, from him? The answer is no, uh, because ultimately it still is Adam and Eve's responsibility. They make the choice. And one of the heartbreaking things about that story is how many opportunities they had to say no. Right? So really, they're the first two human beings that actually had the ability to say no. I mean, for us, we can say no to things like sin, uh, but we know that it's not just our choices, that eventually we will become overwhelmed by it, and there are times where we, we blow it, right? That we, we do things that we ought not to do. Uh, but with Adam and Eve, they actually had the ability to say, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go there. And another double tragedy was that while Eve is having this conversation and the serpent is saying, but did God really say... Adam is sitting right there, and what, what the serpent is talking about is actually a conversation that happened between Adam and God, not God and Eve. Adam relayed that uh, conversation to Eve after her creation. I'm sure he sort of said, here are the ground rules, right? Here's, here's you don't mess with that tree. Everything else is fine. Uh, and so, uh, but in that, you see uh, a propensity of human beings to want to be in control and, and, want, uh, and want to be like, like God. And so how the serpent got in, or how the, the devil got into the Garden of Eden, was that um, I think that it, you can say that it was a test of faith uh, for Adam and Eve, uh, which they failed uh, miserably. Uh, but even as Adam and Eve are being cast out of the garden, uh, God's words uh, to Adam and Eve, well, one, he makes them close, which is actually a really nice thing to do. Uh, and then uh, he says to Eve that um, uh, there'll come a day when, uh, when your offspring's heel will be bruised by the serpent, uh, but he will crush its head. And so even in the Garden of Eden, we begin to hear about God's plan of salvation in Jesus, that Jesus would be the one who, of course, would be stricken and smitten, and Satan would bruise his heel, uh, but ultimately Jesus would crush the head of the serpent, uh, and the victory would be ours. Okay, this was, this was another popular question. What happened to the people before Jesus came? Where did they go? Right. Gosh, I need a drink. Uh, I've called, would someone actually get me a black, a black, oh, Frank, thank you. Frank Taylor, everybody. Uh, just black coffee, just black coffee. Um, real black coffee. Uh, yeah, okay, so uh, in the Old Testament, we, uh, and in the, even in the New Testament, uh, we see that uh, when the faithful died, 
when the faithful died, and this would be before Jesus, uh, and when I mean, what I mean by the faithful are those uh, who are putting their trust in the Lord God and were looking forward to a Redeemer, uh, knew that God was merciful and gracious. And you see all of that in the, in the uh, Old Testament, especially in David's Psalms, right? David even in his Psalms alludes to uh, a Redeemer that is coming. Certainly the prophets talk about, uh, you trump everything. Um, so thanks. Oh, right. your, your reward is in heaven. Um, so there is a... Um, so they, the faithful would go on to a place of the dead, uh, but so would those who, um, who I, I don't want to, let's just say the damned. Um, those who were not faithful, they would go to the place of the dead too. And Jesus tells a story in the Gospels uh, about Lazarus and Dives. And, and it's not a parable. Uh, Jesus normally goes out of his way when he does a parable and says, the kingdom of heaven is like... You know, faith like a mustard seed, things like that. But when he tells the parable of Lazarus and Dives, what he's doing is he's letting us see before Jesus what, what it looked like in the afterlife. And what it was was there was a place and the righteous were on one side and the unrighteous were on another. And that righteousness comes from God. It's not really good people go here and really bad people go there. But two men died. One was a beggar named Lazarus, not Lazarus who was raised from the dead. It's just a, a popular name. Uh, Lazarus, but this very wealthy man died. And the wealthy man went to the bad place, and the poor man went to the bosom of Abraham, which is often mentioned in the Old Testament. So, but what could happen from what Jesus is telling us is that the people in the bad place could actually see the people in the good place. They could, because the, the, the dead rich man says, make Lazarus get me a drink of water, because it show is hot in here. Uh, and, uh, and of course, it's such ridiculous, uh, it's actually really insulting uh, that even in the afterlife, this wealthy man thinks that Lazarus should serve him. Uh, so, uh, so there was a place of the dead, but then St. Paul talks about it. So when Jesus dies on the cross, Jesus is dead, right? Where does he go? Where does he go after he's died? I'm just kidding. I'll answer the question. Uh, that's why I'm here. Uh, well, St. Paul talks about going to the place of the dead and ransoming those faithful souls who were in the good place of the dead, but actually allowing them, because his blood has finally been shed, there's been an atonement for sin, where they can now stand in the presence of God. They don't need a mediator anymore. That They can actually be with the Lord Jesus. So that's why when we say in Jesus, the gates of heaven have been thrown open wide, uh, because before that they were barred. So when Adam and Eve were thrown out of the Garden of Eden, the, the Lord actually puts an angel at the edge of Eden with a flaming sword. And I know that we have all these wonderful images of, of angels that, you know, either they're, they look like me, they're trying to chubby-cheeked and they have little wingies, and, uh, or they're sort of blonde hair, blue-eyed, fierce, but beautiful looking. Uh, but the Bible actually paints this image of angels uh, that's actually frightening, like eyes all over their face and multi, you know, just pretty fierce you know, looking things. So that's why it's understandable when an angel shows up in the Bible, uh, most people fall over dead. They don't, they don't say, hey, you're cute. Let me pinch your cheeks. Uh, they, they, um, like when the angel Gabriel showed up with Mary, who seems to be one of the, the, the less intimidating looking angels, she's still even like, whoa, what does this mean? 
So, um, so before, uh, to wrap that all up, uh, so before, uh, before Jesus died on the cross, there was a place uh, for the dead uh, where the righteous and unrighteous would be, uh, would be divvied off and, uh, and the righteous were taken uh, from what they called the bosom of Abraham actually into the presence of, of God. Okay. Um, if you were stranded on an island forever, what candy would you bring? Two, two people asked that, interestingly enough. Um, you know, I'm not a big candy guy. I mean, Lauren thinks that I'm 100 years old because uh, I'll get on, every once in a while, I'll go on a kick and I'll get on Amazon Prime and I'll order licorice, marzipan, you know, old people candy, <laughs> Werther's Originals, uh, you know, things like that. And, uh, and so it's no wonder that uh, I get AARP stuff all the time uh, because they're tracking my movements. So I, I'm not really a... Um, I'm not really a big, uh, a big candy guy, um, but I'm sure that there's a lot that I would, you know, I'm sure that if somebody said, well, what book um, would you bring on the island? Uh, I'll be honest with you, it wouldn't be the Bible. Uh, it would be how to survive on a desert island and build a raft to get off. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, why do we get, okay, this is a serious question. Why do we get baptized when we get confirmed later? Right, okay. All right, so in the Old Testament, see how, how comprehensive we're being today? In the Old Testament, uh, the outward and visible sign of being part of the covenant community of Israel was circumcision. Uh, and, um, and even still today in our world, circumcision is an unusual, uh, is an unusual practice. Uh, the United States is one of the few countries that do it other than Israel and a couple others. Um, and... Uh, that was an outward invisible sign that you are in the covenant community of Israel. So there are lots of, not a lot, but there are a number of instances in the Old Testament where uh, trying to figure out who's on whose side and the very easy way to do that is to inspect. Uh, and, and so that was a way in which people openly identified with being part of the covenant community of Israel. And even adult converts would be circumcised. Now... There is, of course, an exclusionary factor in, in circumcision because that only applies to men, right? Uh, so women were incorporated in the covenant community as well, uh, but not through that ritual. In the New Testament, uh, that's, that uh, outward and visible sign of being part of the covenant community of God, uh, the church, is, is baptism. So we baptize infants for a number of reasons. Uh, one, uh, because we believe that the Lord commands it. Uh, his interaction with children uh, displays uh, his, uh, his affection and his love for them and that his grace is available to all. But two, it's this beautiful image of, of how God loves us. I've never had a baby. Uh, I've never asked a baby, would you like to be baptized? And they said, yes. And then they waddled on up and they just sort of laid back, up. if anything, uh, they're actually resistant, right? Uh, most babies, when they see me, they're just like, uh-uh. Like, this isn't happening. And they kind of fight, and they kick, and they scream. And so they're actually resistant. But guess what? They're getting baptized whether they like it or not. And so we put the whammy on them. And um, now, that doesn't make you a Christian. 
Uh, indeed, in the Old Testament, uh, the Lord says there are those who are circumcised of the flesh, but not circumcised of the heart. And so that's why your parents and your godparents made vows on your behalf. Things like, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you turn to him as your savior? Do you promise to follow and obey him as your Lord? They made those vows on your behalf, but there's a point in your own life which you have to, like I did when I was 13, you have to appropriate those vows for yourself. Like That has to be uh, your affirmation. And so we call it confirmation, not because you're being confirmed in the Episcopal Church, because actually that's not happening at all. You're confirming your faith publicly before the church that you believe in Jesus. And so it's actually a completion. If there's any sealing in baptism, that's actually the completion of baptism. It's been brought full circle where those promises and covenants that were made on your behalf before God when you were a little baby are now yours, right? Are now yours. You've gone from being an inheritor to actually inheriting, right? You have, you've taken those things, those rights, those privileges uh, onto yourself in confirmation. So confirmation is not like a Gentile bar or bat mitzvah, um, which sometimes it can be. Uh, it's not just a rite of passage. It's a very important thing where you're saying, uh, I believe in Jesus, and you're doing it in front of the whole church. And why the bishop is there is because he represents the church. He represents all the different churches, not just in Alabama and our diocese, but the church uh, around, around the world. Um, okay, we have another big one. Um, if Jesus will come again when everyone has heard the word, and if he can do anything, like give faith, why doesn't he just make everyone believe? Oh, man, I wish it were so. Um, that's a really good question. Um, I know who, um, know who asked it, and I blame his parents. Uh, but, um, uh, but I just looked at it. So, uh, but, uh, no, it's a, that is a really, really good question. And I actually do think about that uh, a lot. Lord, why don't you just make us, um, make us love you? Uh, now, there's... Uh, one of the things I would say is that we don't love the Lord out of obligation. I mean, if your parents came to you and said, you must love me, does that make you want to love them? No, it actually normally would produce the opposite effect of, yeah, we'll see about all that, uh, indeed. Uh, but um, God in his infinite wisdom, which is hard for us to discern right now, uh, has decided in his mercy to use us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to explain to, uh, to people uh, who Jesus is and, and what he's, he's done uh, for them. And so we know that at the last day that no one will be, everyone will be without excuse. Uh, there won't be anybody who can say, well, but uh, everybody, everybody will be without excuse. And so my prayer is that, um, that their hearts would turn toward the Lord Jesus and, uh, and, and accept him um, as, as Lord and Savior, uh, not just so that they can be with us in eternity with our loved ones, uh, but also because of, of the difference that that makes in our lives right now, right? It's, salvation doesn't happen the day you die and you go into heaven. Salvation begins the day that you enter into a relationship with Jesus. And so that's for here and now as much as it is for the hereafter. Um, the question reads, why did you join the Advent? I don't know. I'm <laughs> no, um, <clears throat> I, um, 
Yeah, I, I didn't want to uh, initially. Uh, I, I shouldn't say I didn't want to. Um, I didn't think that it was going to happen. Um, we were serving at a church in Beaufort, South Carolina, which is a really, really lovely place. And uh, lovely people there. We were well loved. But we knew that God was calling us away from that. We knew that we were moving someplace else. We just didn't know where. And uh, so when Frank Limehouse called and said, well, I want you to consider coming on staff at the Advent, I said, no, thank you. I'd already been an assistant at a large church and uh, was kind of ready to move on and and do my own thing. Uh, But then I came and uh, with my wife, Lauren, and uh, we, we, Frank convinced us, just interview, just come and interview. And so we did. And it was really remarkable, sort of the small things that happened uh, that made us think that God was calling us to this place. And you know what one of them was? When we toured the nursery, which is, is okay, I mean, uh, just to, to, to look at, but it was talking with Leslie Hausman, and I don't know what it was, but it was just, I could, we could just see our kids there. So um, blame Leslie Houseman, I guess. That's cool. Uh, That's but, really cool. Uh, and, then, and then we ended up, but then Frank, uh, we thought we'd only be here for a little bit because Frank said that he was going to retire when he was 72, which was at that point only about four or five years away. So he said, okay, well, we'll be here for that long. And we weren't going to be like rats on a ship, but we'd sort of begin to make the transition after he left to someplace else. And then, uh, then he went and lied and uh, retired early. <laughs> um, and you became dean. I did. And the question is, what's your favorite thing about being dean? There are no perks. Um, um, I mean, my parking spot exists for other people. Um, in fact, I'm not even parked there this morning. Um, I, what was the question? What what's like your favorite being, thing about being, being dean? I, don't know, I, th- I mean, the Advent's just a really exciting place. I spent a lot of time with other clergy and other churches. I just went to clergy conference for the diocese. And it's really remarkable what's happening in this place. Um, and so it, I don't like to compare, but when people start talking about the things going on in their own, cre- in their own congregation, I'm just sort of like, yeah, whatever. You know, I mean, it, I mean, there really is so much vibrancy and so much going on here and so many neat things that um, I, I normally don't talk about them in that context, because God is using this place in such an amazing way that, in fact, to bring them up sounds awful and patronizing uh, to, to people because we are doing so much, uh, and, and God has blessed us in such significant ways. So, I, I mean, my favorite thing uh, about being the dean is, is the Advent. Uh, I really, 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 really love that. Mm. I love this place. Um. Now, they asked this question, not me. Um, is, is it more important to uphold Christian beliefs since you are the dean and expected to set an example? I guess so. Um, no, well, yes. Uh, in a sense that, I mean, one is, uh, I think all the clergy here try to say that we're all broken, fallible human beings. Like, I mean, y'all are how old, 12? Yes, sir. Yeah, 11, 12. Yeah, okay. That's the demographic. All right. So, uh, so you're going to be confirmed on Sunday. And there's a really high, I mean, this is just the world speaking, but I hope God wills it. I'm probably going to be standing next to you, officiating at your weddings. Uh, boys, probably not. But the girls, yes. Uh, because, well, because y'all are going to get married, unless you marry one of them. Uh, 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 y'all are going to get married in, 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 in your wife's church. So, uh, so I'm probably going to be standing there. And then... Um, I'm going to baptize your kids. And uh, 
So, I mean, that's just crazy. So uh, you're going to get to see a lot of me. And, uh, and so just because of close proximity and relationship, y'all are going to see me say and do some things that you probably are going to think, that was stupid, or, or that was unchristian, or that wasn't very nice. Uh, and so there's that, but at the same time, I, I, the, the clergy uh, know that um, they're representative of their congregation. And so the old English word for a clergyman was parson, P-A-R-S-O-N. And that was the person, the person that represented the parish. Uh, and so I, I have a healthy understanding of that. I, look, your salvation does not depend upon me. Uh, and uh, if you're looking for an example, look to Jesus. Uh, but, but at the same time, I hope that if I model anything to y'all, it's that I model uh, God's grace for broken people, that, that y- you are loved more than you ever thought possible, uh, even though you struggle mightily in your life. Have you ever heard God? Like, I'm, I'm assuming the voice of God. Yeah, I've never, um, I've never heard um, what I would say that was God's voice, but I've heard God through people. Um, I think that God has, has spoken a word uh, to me uh, in the past. I mean, uh, I, we're, I was talking to somebody uh, the other day, and I saw a similar church sign once where the church sign out front, you know, some of them are just ridiculous. You know, like the one I had growing up at our church, it was always one person in the congregation that, that made the church sign. And so like one Sunday it would say, C-H-C-H. And it would say, what's missing? You are, right? So it was stuff like that. Like inevitably during the summer, it would get real hot. And then the guy, his name was John, John Coleman of all names. Uh, we have a, not the John Coleman here. Uh, John Coleman, would do, when it was hot, you knew the sign was going to say, you think it's hot here. Um, so, and then sometimes they were just, so there were times where they were, I thought that they were actually unchristian, uh, but there was one that always stuck with me and I felt like it was the Lord speaking and it just said, it's not on you. It's not on you. And, and so uh, God, uh, I mean, he speaks primarily through his word, but God can speak through circumstances and through other people and through his church, absolutely. Um, when you go to heaven, do you see the people that have died before you? And what is heaven going to be like? Yeah. So uh, those who have died in the faith of the Lord, uh, you, you, will see, uh, you will see them. I mean, it's actually a really interesting thing to think about. And not only will you see them, you'll recognize them. You will know uh, who they are. But even as close as your relationship with them might be here on earth, um, it's beyond comprehension what your relationship will be with, with them in heaven. Totally different, because even in the best relationships that you have on earth, it's still marred by sin. I mean, for instance, I mean, even your best friend, don't you get a little bit jealous of them sometimes? Or when they get something that, that you don't have, you think, well, that's not that great. I mean, you, 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 you deal with all that kind of stuff, even though you love them very much. Uh, but in heaven, all of that baggage is gone. And so you can only relate to them through love. And that even, I mean, we're going to run into people in heaven that we don't particularly like on earth, right? That's, that's a given too. And yet you will relate to them in the same way, in the same beautiful way that you relate to your loved ones in heaven. Now, a good question, which y'all didn't ask, but I'll go ahead and throw it out there, is, um, you know, how, you know, how, you know, are you the age that you were when you died? 
in heaven, right? And what does that mean about little babies? Or what does that mean about little toddlers? Uh, I don't know, except let's say that you remain a toddler or a baby in heaven. That toddler or baby knows more than you and I will ever know on this earth. Right? They, they are more fully known and they are more fully human uh, than even we are at our most mature. And so I'm not sure about that, but regardless, you'll know who they are. You'll know exactly who they are and you'll be able to communicate uh, as I'm communicating with you right now. Um, why is God referred to sometimes as God the Father, sometimes the Son, God the Son, and sometimes God the Holy Spirit? Okay. Yeah, so let's do, uh, everyone put everything you learned about math away. Um, let's talk about the Trinity, which is inevitable. It is really one of the most hardest doctrines to comprehend. Um, I'm one of those guys that doesn't spend a lot of time late at night wondering uh, about the Trinity. I just know that it is. I have a hard time understanding how it functions, but God has decided to reveal himself as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They're all God, but they're all one. And so uh, God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus, and then God the Holy Spirit. And yet they, there seems there's distinction within the Godhead as well because um, we see uh, the Holy Spirit being poured out at, at Pentecost. Uh, we see uh, God the Son talking about He and the Father being one. Uh, to know Jesus is to know the Father, uh, what Jesus said in John's Gospel. So um, I don't, uh, what I would guard against is there's, there was a movement uh, which actually uh, T.D. Jakes believed this until about five years ago, and now he says he's Trinitarian, which is awesome. I love T.D. Jakes. But. Um, there, there was a, a, a tr an attempt to explain the Trinity by saying, well, God is like an actor in a three-act play. And in Act 1, he's the Father, and then in Act 2, he's the Son, and then Act 3, he's the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't jive with Scripture because Scripture shows us that, that they're all three, co they're, they're all co-eternal, that they're all together, even in the beginning. And so uh, there never was a time where there wasn't a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're not created. Uh, they just are. They just are. How do you go about your everyday life while worshiping God? Yeah, I, I normally carry a tambourine uh, <laughs> with me. Uh, no, just teasing. Uh, no, you know, that, that actually has been something that's come much easier to me than I ever thought it would because... You know, you go, to work, you go to church on Sunday, and you worship, and then, and then on Monday you get kind of caught up in the rat race, and you get distracted, and there are all these things. You've got class, or you've, you've got, a, you know, even Sunday night, you've got homework that you didn't do, so you've got to finish that. And, uh, and so it's really hard to think about, like, how do I worship in math class? You know, how do I worship at my desk? How do I uh, worship on the baseball field? How do I uh, worship... Uh, in my home life. And what I've found is that um, I spend a lot of my day not taking time aside, although I do do this, where I have prayer time, but actually throughout the day just acknowledging God's presence in my life and talking with Him. Now, I don't recommend you start walking around the halls of, uh, of your schools talking uh, out loud, uh, but, 
but conversing with God about little things. And so sometimes things will come to mind, somebody who's in the hospital, uh, somebody who's not doing well, someone who's struggling with something, uh, and I'll just think of them and immediately I'll pray, Lord, be with them, be with them. Or if, if something really great happens, I think, praise the Lord. I actually spend a lot of time these days saying, Lord, I can't find this thing Reveal it to me. <laughs> Open my eyes that I may see. I do pray. So, I mean, it, it, your life actually becomes much more integrated when you understand that, that God really is everywhere and that he's with you every step of the way. And so sometimes it's just as easy as calling out his name. And sometimes when, um, when God feels far off, uh, I find that if you just stop and you worship him, you, you feel the nearness of God. Uh, again. And, and that sometimes is just saying, uh, Jesus, I love you. Or Jesus, I'm, I'm glad that you're Lord. It's acknowledging the truth about God. Worship is the worship of God, that you're attributing to God that which is his due. And so worship is actually a whole lot more about God than it is about us. Mm-hmm. Um, why were the books which are part of the Apocrypha Wait, why were the books, which are part of the Apocrypha, part of the Bible so long and then taken out? Yeah. Okay. Um, now get your history books out. All right. So for the, for the longest time in, um, in the early church and even in the Jewish faith, there were two canons. There was a Hebrew canon and then there was a Greek canon. And uh, the Hebrew canon actually didn't include the Apocryphal books. Uh, the Greek canon sort of took over from the Hebrew canon a little bit later on uh, in, in the life of the church. So like, I don't know, I mean, before you get into the Middle Ages uh, around that time. So to say that they were a part of the Bible for the longest time and then they were taken out is really not true. They were actually later, they were things that weren't necessarily agreed upon and then somehow, honestly, through just the sheer weight of the number of people who wanted to put them in because they were part of the Greek canon, um, put them in. And then when the Reformation happened, there was a big outburst of scholarly work and, and they realized that they probably needed to get back to the Hebrew canon. Now that doesn't mean that there's not good things in the Apocrypha. In fact, if you read the Articles of Religion in the back of the prayer book, it'll say that... Um, that there's nothing necessarily wrong with these books. We don't believe that they're divinely inspired. In fact, they're really good things to read if you want instruction in a godly life. Uh, but they're not to be put on the same level as, um, as Scripture. I mean, what the, what the Reformers would have said is, these are really good Christian books, right? They're sort of like mere Christianity. I mean, really good. There's nothing in there that's necessarily, necessarily heretical. But, but they're, they're, they wouldn't be divinely inspired, but reflect the traditions and beliefs of the church. I think we have time for two quick more, maybe. Okay. Um, why do terrorists and, um, and particularly um, Muslims hate Jewish people and Christians if they worship the same God? Oh, gosh. Quick question. Um, okay. <laughs> let me say, okay, first of all, let me, let me parse out that question a little bit. I don't think it's fair to say that all Muslims who are doing what ISIS and others are doing... Um, and so ISIS is not representative of, of the uh, Muslim faith. However, um, 
Muslim scholars agree uh, that they've got, a, they've, got a, they've got a problem on their hands. They've got a violence problem on their hands, especially uh, as, as it concerns uh, their faith. And so you'll find within Islam uh, a lot of um, debate over what does it mean, jihad, what does that mean? Uh, for some Muslims, they would say it doesn't mean the, the spilling of, of blood. Uh, but for others, they say uh, that it would. Um, I would say that there is a lot of antagonism uh, between uh, Islam and Judaism, and, uh, and that goes back uh, uh, to an incident in the Old Testament. Uh, some of you remember Abraham and Sarah were called from Ur, and uh, Sarah, uh, they had been promised a child, and Sarah couldn't help herself, and so she convinced uh, Abraham to have a child with another woman uh, who was Ishmael. And then when they had a child, she sent Ishmael and Hagar uh, away, which is a really awful thing uh, to do. And, uh, and then that people group became the Ishmaelites. And uh, most Arabs and, uh, and even the Muslim uh, people would trace their lineage uh, to Ishmael. So Christians, Jew, uh, Jews, and Muslims would say that they're all members of the Abrahamic faith. And yet the manifestation of what that faith looks like is very different uh, in, in all three. And so not to be exclusionary, but simply to respect our differences, Christians believe that Jesus is God, that he's God in the flesh. Uh, Jews do not accept that, and Muslims do not accept that. In fact, uh, it, it's blasphemy in both of those traditions. Uh, it's certainly blasphemy in, in Islam. And so um, one of the reasons why is that, uh, uh, well, Islam uh, emphatically denies the resurrection, um, uh, but, uh, but also um, there, there are those differences. And I think that it's actually helpful in our conversations with people of faith is there's a lot that we can agree upon uh, when it comes to issues of faith. But I think it's also helpful simply acknowledging where the differences are. In our culture, there's all, everybody, everybody's so sensitive uh, about that, and yet they're the elephants in the room, and so why not talk about our differences? And if we can do that, actually that makes getting together and being of common cause a whole lot, a whole lot easier. I mean, if you, if you went in for marital counseling with a counselor and you said, we want to talk about all the positives in our relationship, but none of the negatives, well, you're toast, right? You're toast. And, uh, and so I would say that about is Islam and, and Judaism. Um, so I, I think the reason why we don't get along is because there's not a uniformity of belief. And a lot of that centers around who is Jesus and what has he come to do? Okay, just to, just to show that we've covered all the questions, do you have a quick stand on Auburn and Alabama and pancakes and waffles? Uh, waffles, I mean, no question there. Uh, Pancakes are ridiculous. Um, <laughs> you know, I, you know, when it, I, it's the third rail of religion in Alabama, um, the Alabama Auburn thing. Uh, so I don't, I don't really take a stand. Lauren, my wife, her parents went to Alabama, uh, and they're nice enough. Uh, and uh, so, uh, but I, I don't really, uh, I don't root heartily for one or heartily against the other. Thank you. All right, thank you. God bless y'all. I got to go to work. I will say the uptick, it's the only class I get clapped for at the end. <laughs> <laughs>